0: Uh, As a church, um, we've been looking at what it means for God to produce within us the ideal family. And, and we've recognized that no family is perfect. But what family really is, is, it becomes a place for us to really find out what we're about in our walk with Jesus. It's not until you're in the day-to-day relationships of life that you find out where you're strong in Christ and where you're weak in Jesus. It's when you're under the same roof with someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that you find out if you really walk in the Spirit or you walk in the flesh. Because it's easy to say you're a loving person when no one else is around. It's a totally different story to love people when it's difficult to love, right? And so a family provides a great basis for us to understanding if we're we're learning and living out what it means to follow Christ in our lives, because Jesus loved us in our sin, and Jesus loved us when it was hard, and Jesus didn't stop in his love for us. He gave his life for us, and we as followers of Jesus are to model that. And so we have places to grow on that journey, and family is a great tool for us to learn where we're strong, where we're weak, uh, to be gracious and patient with us as we continue to look towards Christ in our lives. In the last couple of weeks, this last week and this week, we focused particularly on, on parenting and kids, and we recognize together as a church family, no matter where we are, whether you have kids or not, that the idea of understanding God's desire for children is important because Utah is the youngest state in our nation, and this area is the youngest area in our country. I think Eagle Mountain, if you Google it, different things come up, but Eagle Mountain I think is the, the smallest town or youngest town or city. In the United States of America And so right right, just, just in our backyard over here we, we have the youngest area in our country So understanding God's desire for kids is important Psalm 127 really lays out God's heart in understanding children He said children are a gift to the Lord The fruit of the womb is a reward And so when we think about here at ABC When people come through our front door We know people are important to God And our love for God is demonstrated by how we love each other And especially to the younger generation generation you want to have an impact in your culture in your country sometimes we think about arguing that in the political realm but news for us is that those battles of what takes place in politics happen honestly generations before in the shaping of young minds and so what you do with your children it it matters to God how we protect the innocent and the weak Jesus said what you've done unto the least of these you've done unto me Jesus cares about kids. He calls them gifts. He calls them rewards. And then in describing you, he said, kids are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Parents, church, you're the warrior. Kids are the arrows. When God thinks about arrows, we, we think in terms of an arrow. An arrow is designed for a purpose. Kids have a purpose. You as a warrior, your intentions are to help shape that arrow, determine the target, and launch it on its way. We 've talked about a few ways to do that. We, in Ephesians chapter six, this was our base text last week for understanding what god 's desire is for the children, and in verse four at the very bottom, he says, "Fathers do not provoke your children to anger." negative phrase, but the positive is this: Bring them up in discipline and instruction in the lord god 's desire is for you to bring them up, bring them up means the holistic approach to their development. When you think about a child it 's body, soul, mind, spirit. What is God's desire for them it 's not your goal for your child it's God 's goal for your child and the way that we determine that target is through discipline and instruction. Discipline is about what you do. Instruction is about what you say. God holistically desires for you to raise them up. We talked about when it comes to discipline and instruction spazzing out a little bit about that like okay now what exactly what, what exactly do we discipline and instruct in right but the reality is 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 to 16 gave us the picture of what that looks like when Paul said this I am a f- spiritual father over you in Corinth you are my spiritual children and then in verse 16, he says this, mimic me. And so when we think about discipline and instruction in the children. Where, where do we get the idea of how to discipline and instruct them? Well, it comes directly out of your relationship with the Lord. As God leads your life, so God directs you to lead the lives of others. And ki- kids learn more from what's caught than taught. That's why I used the illustration last week that um, I have lived in Utah longer than anywhere in my life, but I have an accent. Probably you've noticed, right? I grew up where they drink sweet tea. And, um, and where did I learn that? Like I watched television where I think people talk normal, <laughs> right? But, but it was my parents. They modeled that for me. And no matter how hard I try, it's with me for the rest of my life, right? Kids learn from what's caught rather than what's taught. And so your relationship with the Lord is important. Because as God grows you in your walk with him, so you encourage others. And from there, we're going to build into the next two points of parenting that I think are are, are helpful in in guiding these arrows in the hands of you as a warrior. And the third is to say this, that godly parenting builds relationships that bond. And and what I mean by that is I, I don't mean that you need to be your kid's best friend. Your kids already have friends. Your kids need a mother and a father. They need a mom and a dad. For your child, friends are going to come and go. But when it comes to being a a parent, a a parent, a mother and, and dad cares enough for the child to fight for that child and for their future. And, and I think when you look in verse four, it illustrates this well and how that, that mother and father builds the bond for the child. in the idea of, of these two contrasting words in verse four, you think about the negative command and the positive command, the negative command, provoke your children to anger. Do not do that. Do not provoke your children to anger, but rather do this, bring them up in instruction and discipline in the Lord between these two words, the difference between these two commands uh, really talk about the motivation and the surrendering of the parent's heart and the type of bond you're building with your child. So when you think about godly parenting is about bonding, these two phrases I'm saying are illustrating for us the type of bond that God desires for you to build with your child. When you think about what these these two commands illustrate when they're lived out in your life, when, when you think about a parent that provokes their child to anger, Provoking is, is, carries the idea that a parent really is about their own self-interest. I mean, when, when, when the parent provokes, they, they walk into the room sort of like a, a storm cloud, right? Just with all this fury and rage because the children have frustrated them and they just want the child to do what it is they want so they can get back to the peace to their life, continue down the path that they feel is so important because they are the most important person in the family, right? So they walk in and they just unleash, what happens to the child's heart provoked to anger right they're distant i don't want near mom and dad especially in a time like that but what's discipline about discipline we're going to see in a minute like no one lines up for discipline no one's like please please discipline me right But I think in the long run, we all see the evidence of what discipline is about. Discipline comes from a place of love. A place that says, look, this, this is just as hard for me. Like, it would be easier for me to sit on the lazy board and just yell at you. But I care about you. And I care enough about you to give up my own time to enter into your life to help you become who God has called you to be. And so you see the motivation behind both of these words. One is one about forcing the child, pushing the child the way. The other one's about pursuing the heart of the child because you understand what God has called that arrow to become. And so when you think about the interest of God in, these, in these, this verse, and this command, this negative and positive command, is that God is interested in the parent that pursues the heart of the child for the sake of disciplining this kid, to help this kid become all that God has called them to be. Godly parenting builds relationships that bond. It's not the provoking of pushing away. It's about entering into the struggle of the child's life to help them become who God has called them to be. Kids need healthy boundaries. And healthy love. High love with no boundaries. It's not really love. No love with no boundaries. That's neglectful. Strict boundaries with low love. That creates rebellion. That's provoking. But firm boundaries with high love. Counselors will tell you teaches children. It develops the most well-rounded child. It teaches them respect, coping skills, positive relationships, self-image, and confidence. The Apostle Paul in First or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter two, he he shares in this passage the idea of healthy relationship built from the perspective of the parent and the life of, of the child. In fact, he describes in this passage in First Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 7, he begins with the mother and the father. Now, I want you to know this. When Paul writes this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 to verse 12... He's not saying, mothers, this is your only responsibility, and fathers, this is your only responsibility. Rather, what I think he's saying is, this is how a mother tends to gravitate, this is how a father tends to gravitate, and and both of these, this is what's healthy about them. Now, it's not saying that, mothers, this is all you do, because in this passage, Paul's saying, I do all of these things, right? So it's not limiting you in your role, but it's helping us to understand that, that there's this dynamic in the way that God has created you that tends to be the way it plays out in relationship, but this is not pigeonholing you in any way. And so Paul 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 is saying in these verses, look at how he describes this. 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 7. If you're asking, okay, what's Paul's picture of, of, of a parent that really builds that healthy relationship with your child? Look what he says. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. I love this. He's saying, look, mom, in the way that you care for your child, you're emulating the gospel. And he's illustrating it this way. He's saying, um, Jesus comes into our suffering. Like if Jesus didn't enter into our life, what would happen? Death. You're dependent. God is life. And mom, if you don't enter into your child's place, what happens? Death. Kids kids can't survive on their own. But yet with that nurturing soul, you enter into their place. And so he says that you impart to you not only the gospel of God and the way you live, the way you teach, but also your own lives. Like your life becomes really the model because you've sacrificed who you are, which is a demonstration of who Jesus is. Now, I'll let you know, moms, Kids don't appreciate that until like, right, You're, they're somewhere in their 20s some way, all of a sudden the bell clings on and they, and they start seeing their own parent. and they come home they're like, oh, mom. <laughs> like, right? I remember, I, remember uh, when I, I moved out of my house before I graduated high school and and um, got into college and, you know, you live on like beans and rice and I remember six months, I'm out of my own proving myself, you know, shedding the, the, the home life, I'm my own man sort of thing and I walked back into my house the first time and, and I remember I wasn't even thinking this way, I just wanted to go home. And, and as soon as I walk in the door, my mom's already got a meal there and everyone's sitting around eating. And it was like the first time I sat down in a chair after six months that wasn't put together by duct tape, you know? And, and then I remember sitting on the couch and watching TV on a TV that wasn't held up by a milk crate flipped over. <laughs> so, and you just, the first time you put something in your mouth other than ramen, just that home-cooked meal, it's like the, the words mom are just the sweetest thing you've ever thought of, right? It's not, not until you hit your twenties that you really appreciate what mom's done like uh, moms let's just be honest you're underappreciated but the Lord sees the Lord sees what that model is And Paul is illustrating for us the the beauty of that nurture and how it builds that that bond with the child. And then in in verse 11, he he moves to the fathers and looks at this. He says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory, so look at that it 's talking about uh, he, 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 your own children God is calling you into this purpose like they 're considering mom and dad the, the bigger picture like yes you 're going to have friends in your life, but you 've got a mom and dad that, that they 're fighting for your future, they understand they're, air, they're warriors, you 're the arrow, and they 're sending you on this target and and he's saying in verse eleven the, the role of the father he, he uses three words to describe it he says exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. The idea of exhorting is really, the best way to illustrate it, it's the role of a cheerleader. Um, uh, You think about the difference between a fan and a cheerleader. Like if you're watching a game and you're a fan, when the team does horrible, fans are relentless, man. They will boo you. They will boo you at the halftime into the locker room. They will boo you off the field when it's over. That's what a fan does. But you know what you never see a cheerleader do? They don't boo the team. In fact, when the team has a hard game, you, you see them, you see it where they wear it on their face, but their idea is always about encouraging, always about celebrating, always to think about the possibility of what could happen. They, they live in that hope, right? And you think about when it comes to parenting and, and you understand that there's things that God, God, God loves you where you are, right? He may not always agree with what you do, but God loves you where you are. God is for you. God wants you to succeed, and if parenting becomes this idea of, you know, I'm just going to follow my kids around and just constantly remind them about everything they're doing wrong. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And that's the only time you enter into their life is when they mess up. Like they're, they're going to look at you and be like, man, it's just a continuing provoking. They're going to look at you and be like, man, forget that. Can't wait to leave this. And if they follow Jesus and that's what this Jesus is about, forget that Jesus, right? What you celebrate, guys, You replicate. And when your kid meets successes in life, don't, don't just stop there and be like, you know, that was great, but you know, next time let's do it 100 times better. If the kid did something great, just take time to appreciate it, celebrate it, enjoy it, lavish in it, because there's gonna come a time when you also have to correct. And you need to make some deposits before you start working on withdrawals. That bond I mean, hearing you celebrate their lives, they see a parent that's for them, right? And maybe sometimes you have to dig a little. But the idea of first recognizing dad the first, the first word that Paul says here for us is, is exhorting. Don't just step in to tell the kids all the time what what they're doing wrong, but think about your role in encouraging them. You're on their team. You're not a fan. You're the cheerleader. You're on their team. They're on the field. You want to see them succeed in everything that they do. So you, you're there to cheer them on cheer the arrow. That arrow may be dying in its trajectory, but keep encouraging it. Get up. Right. And that's, that's exactly where the next word is. He says he's exhorting. And then he's, he's encouraging this word. The word for encourage is an interesting word because it also can be translated admonish, comfort, or, or, or challenge. And so what it's saying is your role as a parent is, is when kids goof off, you say straighten up. When kids, when kids fall off the saddle, whatever you need to do to encourage them to get back up. In that moment, whatever meets that need to help that kid move forward, that's this word here. Is the idea of encouraging them in moments where they're kind of falling off to get back up. and the, and the moments where they have fallen to, 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 to stand back up. And then the idea of imploring is, is, is this word of urgency. It's saying, it's literally like drawing a line in the sand, saying, okay, if you do that again, you have gone too far. And, and that gets into the thought of discipline. We're going to share a little bit more about that in a moment. But Paul is reminding them of how he has cared for them, like a mother and a father. Caring with firm consistency Caring with firm consistency in relationship with your child helps shape and influence them. Jesus does that for you. He loves you deeply and he loves you too much to leave you that way. God is love. God sacrificially loved you. God was for you. He gave his life for you. And in that, he cares too much about you to just let you wallow where you are. God wants to see you thriving in him. And that's what discipline's about, right? I care too much about you where you are. I want to come alongside you. I want to cheer you. I want to encourage you. I I, I want to implore you. The greater the bond you have to your kids the more likely they adopt the beliefs and the values that you carry. Bonding is a place of influence, of unconditional love that builds the bond, of meaningful touch, of scheduled time, of ongoing communication, of focused attention, of having fun together, eye contact, praying together. I mean, there, there was an article written by uh, Dr. Kenneth Gangle, and, and he, he since passed away, but he was recording it, it was in the... Uh, um, Within the last decade, he was writing from these two articles he received from the universities. And he talked about fathers and parenting with 7th and 8th graders. And fathers in in some studies that were done in some universities of parenting children that were preschoolers. And this is what they they concluded. These two universities studied hundreds of parents with these both age groups. And they said fathers with 7th to 8th graders spend an average of 7.5 minutes a week of intentional time with their children. That's it. Seven and a half minutes a week. How do you begin to even influence a life? Seven and a half minutes a week. With preschoolers it was even less. Thirty-seven seconds a day. Thirty seven seconds of intentional time. Like what does that communicate? Children are a gift and a reward. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. Guys, your greatest ministry is to your children. Can I I tell you, like, I'm a pastor here at Alpine Bible Church, but can I tell you my my number one role? I'm first a pastor at home. Like, can I tell you each of your roles, your responsibility, God calls you to be shepherds in your home to nurture the hearts of the people that are in your home. You're a pastor. God cares about what you do. And so when you think in, in terms of, of, of these three thoughts that, that last week we talked about the target that God wants for us and the idea that, that we mimic who we want our kids to become, the building of bond, of bond with, the, with our children. When you think of, in, in terms of Ephesians chapter six, bring them up in discipline and instruction. This, this word for bring up is one that is ongoing. So I would say the fourth point is this, that, that godly parenting is ongoing. This is active. You ever wonder? We think about in terms of Godly parenting being ongoing. How does God parent? (laughs) I mean, that's the illustration of Scripture that's used for us to sort of connect to who God is, as uh, most often he's described for us in the New Testament as Father. I don't think that means to be in the literal physical sense, but it is for us to, to think through this relationally. And so if that's the description of who he is, how does God parent us as, as kids that are under him, right? How, how does God see us? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verses 4 and 5, that's really what starts here in this passage. Look what it says. In verse 5, it says this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure God deals with you as with sons, so that for what son is there whom his Father does not discipline, but if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time and seemed what seemed best for them to them, but He disciplines us. For our good, so that we may share in his holiness. In verse 11, look at this. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Like if you were to summarize this, how does God view his, his form of parenting here? I think there is one word that is echoed 10 times within this section of scripture. And that's the thought of discipline. Verse 10, it tells us very clearly discipline is for the purpose. It's for a child to become holy. When we often think about discipline, you go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Do not provoke, right? Bring up. Oftentimes when we think about discipline, our discipline is about our peace. Like I want you to stop because the house is chaos and it's driving me nuts, right? Sorry about yelling. (laughs) peace, give me peace. (laughs) Um, It's about us. God's discipline. It's for a purpose. His purpose isn't about his peace, but about your holiness. Now here's the great part. When God's purpose is for our holiness, the result in our heart will be peace. The fruit of holiness is peace fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of holiness, which is to be set apart, if we walk in the Spirit, which is to be set apart, the fruit of that is peace. The goal isn't peace, but the fruit is peace. And so we look for that purpose. And in verse 11, he, he says for us that really God measures success different in that case than we do. He says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Like, no one signs up for discipline. Yet to those that are trained by it, it rewards a peaceful fruit of righteousness. What God's saying here is really he sees your heart like a farm, right? The fruitful, peaceful righteousness. God sees your heart like a farm. And first, you've got to till the land. And as you're faithful in tilling the land and sowing the seed, what happens after that work? At first, nothing. But over time, it begins to bless. And so when you think in terms of discipline, discipline isn't just about negative consequences. You, you see in this verse that when God thinks about discipline, it's not just about negative consequences. It's about this positive harvest. Like, discipline doesn't just have to be about bad things. Discipline is for a good purpose. Like, there, there is Discipline happens in our life that can be fruitful or, or celebratory. In this, in this perspective, verse 11, that's exactly what God's saying. It's not about just coming alongside you and telling all the wrong things that you're doing. It's thinking about this time of rejoicing with the fruit that's to come to fruition. And so d- discipline, in, in that sense, is not about punishment. Rather, discipline is about maturity. It carries the, the best interest of, of the child in mind which is why when you think about in terms of discipline your your goal you should never be about disciplining in anger because discipline is not punishment punishment is just about retribution with no concern or care for the person that you're you're bringing this punishment upon discipline though it's driven by love its care is for that soul so when you think about discipline, it shouldn't be one brought out of anger. Anger is about provoking. But rather out of love. This is gonna hurt me more than it hurts you. No, I'm just kidding, I'll do that. But <laughs> discipline is teaching to follow God through clear instruction and consequences in a loving environment. Because discipline, we said last week, comes from the same root as discipleship. And can I tell you, I think the greatest lesson we often often don't think about when it comes to discipline really is that discipline equals freedom. Now, you don't really think of discipline that way, but discipline brings freedom. When you think about this in your life, like, there was a time in your life, for most of us probably anyway, that you went through this period of you hit 16 years old and you knew if you studied and you learned the art of driving a vehicle that eventually through that discipline, you're going to get this ugly picture on this card, right? And that card is going to give you what? Freedom. Discipline brought freedom. And now no longer are you attached to the house, but you are free to go wherever you want. I mean, as you grow up uh, as an adult, you you start to think about your future and what you don't have and what you might want. And so in order to get that job, you have to learn particular disciplines so that your employer would hire you. And when you learn that discipline, then you can acquire the things that you desire. And through that discipline came somewhat freedom. (laughs) Depends on how you look at your job. But if you think about those two areas of your life, if you ever stop practicing those disciplines that got you where you were, what happens? Restrictions, right? I mean, if you don't obey the laws of the road when you drive, the consequences can be deadly. If you don't obey the, the structure for what gets you hired at your job and continue to grow in that position, like you can lose your job. It can affect your company, but that discipline brings freedom. And it's not just for you. It affects everybody, the people you drive beside and the people you work with. Now, I, I would hate to go this far, but let me, let me give you an illustration of um, a dog. <laughs> Kids aren't dogs, but, but you think about dogs? Like some owners are great at disciplining their dogs. So much so, there are owners in life that when they discipline their dog and they take their dog for a walk, those dogs are so obedient, they don't even have to walk them on a the leash. The dog just stays right by them the whole time. And because of that, what does the dog get? Freedom. But then there are other dogs that rather than the master teach them, the dog teaches the master. And what happens with that dog? It's a pain to the master, and that dog ain't ever getting out, right? <laughs> like, lock the door and keep it shut. We're not doing that, right? Discipline. Brings freedom. Discipline your kid because, lack of discipline because you want your kid to like you. You discipline your kid because you love them. And you think of all that God desires to do with them. In your relationship with God. God wants to use you to do incredible things in this world. Guys, but if you don't practice discipline or discipleship, how's he going to use you? Like, if you think, man, God wrote this word for me. And you think in in the instruction, Paul says to mimic me as I follow God. And then God calls you now with children to to discipline and instruct them. How is God ever going to lead us and our families if we're not aligning our lives with God? Because we won't find freedom. We won't be that light. It won't impact people around us. But With discipline comes Freedom. When we sow discipline, Paul's saying we, in, in Hebrews chapter twelve, whoever wrote Hebrews I should say, we have the harvest of freedom. So why Ephesians chapter six, on the other side of that, it says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right." The only command in the New Testament directed to kids: o- obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command, with the promise so that it will go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Obey your parents. This word uh, uh, obey, it tells us how do we obey here? Well, the, the answer is to honor. Verse 2. Obey your parents. How do we obey our parents? Well, we, we obey our parents by honoring them. Interesting thought is last week we talked about this idea, or two weeks ago we talked about honoring and, and, and the idea of conflict. Like The Bible says a marital relationship, honor one another. And the reason we do that is because it doesn't necessarily resolve the conflict at the moment. But if we refuse to dishonor each other in the midst of conflict, we always leave the door open for how God can work in our lives. And it's the same thing here with kids. Like, honor your parents because God wants to do something in that relationship. And God cares about that relationship. And so how do we obey? We obey by honoring. And why honor? Because God cares about relationships. And so how do we honor well, I think children honor by respecting and cooperating with their parents. But you think about this. Everyone in this room was a child at some point. And you still, in, in terms of who your parents are, you're still their children. And the Bible doesn't even speak to children, doesn't just speak to children when they're young. It speaks to children as they grow up. And, and, and 1 Timothy, it even says it like this. So, so you think about as you get older, how do, we, how do we honor our parents as we get older? Well, the answer in 1 Timothy 5 is, is you help them. Like First Timothy 5.4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. God always cares about how you treat your parents. As they minister to you in demonstration of the gospel when you were young, so you in return do the same. And verse 8 even goes this far, he says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God cares about your relationships. God cares about your family. Kids, all of us, obey your parents. Honor them. The word obey literally means to be under the authority of their voice. What that means for you as a parent, it really sets a target for us. It means this, that your goal as a parent is to get your kids to obey the first time you ask, listen to this, with a good attitude. That's the biblical word for obedience. Kids obey the first time you ask with a good attitude. I, uh, I uh, lived in a few different states in the South when I was a kid. And, and one of those, I went to high school in Alabama. First day of school. I walk in, the teacher has a wonderful seat for me, my English teacher, on the front row right next to her desk. Like, welcome visitor, right under the thumb of the teacher, right? And so I remember I walk in, I, I sit down, and 20 minutes into class, the teacher asks a question, and I just answered yes or no. I can't remember the question. And I just answered yes or no, looked down at my paper. We are about to, we were in the middle of reading, I think, a Shakespeare story. And then I, I look back up, and all of a sudden, she's got this look of, of God's fury on her heart and mind and it was very apparent on her expression on the outside and she just looks at me and says, go to the office. All right, so here I am, new student, I go to the office, I remember I walk into the principal's office and I sit down, I was just there like an hour ago because he had to enroll in the school and the principal introduced himself to me and here I am already one hour into the school, a kid in trouble, I remember I sit down in this office and and he looks at me and he goes, young man, oh by the way I have a picture of... Fairhope High School, if you want to see that, um. He looks at me and says, uh, young man, I don't know where you're from or what you've been taught, but here at this school, when someone asks you a question, the answer is always yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. Yes, sir. Or no, sir. I don't want to see you here again, because the next time you're here, there's going to be worse consequences. And I wake up, stand back up and I say, yes, sir. And I head right out of the class, right? You want to know how in the South, they teach their kids to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I got the first hand lesson within the first 20 minutes of being there. And from that time forward, it always came out of my mouth. And I remember I walked back to that, that class and I sat down on that front row and no, no lie. The, the, the teacher says to all the students, she's like, okay, kids, uh, Fairhope high school was new at the time. She's like, okay, our school needs a motto. And we've decided the student body is going to pick a motto. So every student's getting an index card and we want you to write down what you think the school motto should be. And I remember I was just having this fresh on my brain. And I just sat right down with my index card and she told us there was some, some parameters to it. And I just put down on that card, Fairhope high school, where excellence is expected, right? And I just turned it in. I got back online this week just to check, and no joke, right there, our motto, where excellence is expected. That's right. Discipline and instruction under the sound of your voice. But you know how it goes. Kids are smart. And sometimes as parents, they train you better than you train them, Right? Little Johnny, get your coats, time to go. Johnny hears the voice, she didn't really mean it. Johnny just sits there, continues to play. Mom just chats. Johnny, get your coats, time to go. Johnny hears the sound of her voice. Yeah, she didn't really mean it. Johnny keeps playing. Third time happens. Finally, the fourth time, Johnny, I told you to get your coats. Oh, she really means it now. And then Johnny gets up and snaps right to it, right? And what has Johnny done? He's trained mom, man fourth time. It always takes four times. I I can tell by the tone of her voice how serious she is. And then all of a sudden, you blew it. You're, You're angry now. You're just, you feel like you fell as a parent. I mean, oh, you can't believe it any longer. And Johnny's learned, right? The key to getting your child to obey is to be consistent. And you say to little Johnny, time to get your coat. Johnny sort of ignores it, but I think as a parent, we, we get down to their level, we look them in the eye in a serious tone and we say, look, if you obey, there's consequences positive and if you don't, there's not and this is how it's gonna be. Johnny, get your coat. Uh, for the first two weeks, that's exhausting, right? I mean, it wears you down as a parent but if you stay consistent, kids know. Parents are serious. When they say something, I honor them by the way I obey. You know, the advantage of being a parent over a child is that um, kids' patience usually don't last as long as yours. And God's desire isn't parenting over anger, but parenting out of love. Godly discipline is done in love for them. Bond with them. Speak to their heart. Help them become who God has called them to be. Kids are a gift. You are a warrior. And they are an arrow. We want them to succeed. Not our way, but God's way. Had the joy of going to a kindergarten graduation. I felt ripped off, man. I was like, where was mine when I graduated? Right? And, uh, you know, one of the greatest things about kindergarten graduations, which are my favorite graduations, I've decided, they ask uh, kids, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I I realized and listening to these brilliant children, I didn't dream high enough. Like, one wanted to be a wizard. One wanted to be a Lego builder. A Pokemon trainer. Mine said a dolphin trainer. I didn't have the heart to tell them you live in a desert, but, you know, regardless of what they do, God calls me to focus on who they are. And if I help them be strong in character in him, they're gonna be successful no matter what they do. I know as parents, we blow it. I know we aren't perfect. I know we have regrets. I know we hope and pray that our kids remember our successes more than our failures. Um, mom and dad in church, can I tell you, Jesus knows we aren't perfect too. And more than anything, I think Jesus wants you to succeed. He knows that you need help raising your kids. And I think it's also one of the very tools that he uses to keep you close to his side. Let God grow you on this journey. You know, you aren't responsible for how your kids respond. But you are responsible for how you choose to act. Church, one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities you have is to steward the gift that is young people. To focus on the target, to practice what you preach, to build bonds with them, and to be ongoing in that relationship. More than anything, kids need godly men and women as examples, they need moms and dads to be those examples even when they don't act like they appreciate it. Because what the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 12, the consistency of rearing them that way is a fruitful life ahead of them and a fruitful life for you to enjoy. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.